Well, good evening. How many of you have ever heard of the Zemet Tovka? Probably not many because I probably just butchered that name. The Zemet Tovka is considered the oldest vine in the world. It was dubbed that by the Guinness Book of World Records. And its location is in a tiny town in Slovenia. This vine has seen a lot in its 400 years of existence. It has been through the Ottoman Empire. It has seen Napoleon and his armies. It's even withstood attacks from the Nazis during World War II. This vine still produces 75 to 130 pounds of grapes each year. I want you to notice in this picture the solitary vine. Do you see it? And I want you to notice the intricate network of branches flowing from it. This vine has a few big roots, one of which is 12 feet around. Some of the branches are 120 feet from the main root. It's really amazing when you think about it. A vine like this kind of puts some meat on the bones of what Jesus speaks of in John chapter 15. Let's read there again. I know we read it this morning, but let's read again starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch uh, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You know, Christianity is much like that old vine in that old village in Slovenia. One root, one vine, and all the branches get their nourishment from it. There are so many great themes that are packed into John chapter 15. You have the theme of relationship, you have the theme of love, and the theme of abiding in good works and community, and the theme of mission. And although we are not the original hearers or the original audience that Jesus is speaking to, there is certainly a message here for modern day disciples like you and me. But before we launch into how this affects us, Let's do like we did this morning, and let's rewind the tape a little bit. This, of course, is one of Jesus' I am statements. In fact, it's the last one that we'll be looking at. What's important for us to understand is that each of these I am statements explicitly identifies Jesus as Israel's God. And that's an important point to remember. All of these statements begin with I am. And you remember what Jesus said backing up into John chapter 8 to the Jewish leaders. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, this statement is a play on what was said by God to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. 
You might remember there that God has commissioned Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage. And Moses is not too keen on the idea and doesn't feel that he is qualified to do the job. And so God is commissioning him to go to Pharaoh. But before that, he's going to go to the leaders and tell them of the plan. And he says, but what if they want to know where I'm getting this message from? What do I tell them? And God says, you tell them, I am who I am. Thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I am who I am is God's way of saying, I am the self-existent one. I, don't, I never had a beginning and I won't have an end. It, it's more of a name, really, than a statement. And it refers to the absoluteness and the uniqueness of God. So what is Jesus saying when he says, before Abraham was born, I am? Well, he's declaring that he is God, simply put. And as we talked about this morning, Jesus came to succeed where Israel failed. Israel was not the vine that God intended for them to be. And so it, uh, Jesus is going to come and pick up the slack. He's going to succeed where they failed. Jesus is coming to do and fulfill what Israel was supposed to do. You see, God set Israel apart for the purpose of making his name great among the nations and being a light to the Gentiles. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So Jesus comes along and calls himself the true vine. And as we talked about this morning, the vine is imagery in the Old Testament of Israel itself, of God's people. And, you know, every time that, that it's spoken of in this way, Israel as the vine, it's spoken of in a negative sense. There's a negative connotation attached to it. Where Israel failed, Jesus will not. He is the true vine. He has come to do exactly what they were supposed to do but failed in. You look at Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made, the richer his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. Their heart is faithless. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. So by Jesus saying that he is the true vine, he is contrasting himself with Israel. As God's vine, Israel was planted and it was supposed to bear fruit. They were chosen to be, to be the loved and, and, and fulfilled people of God. Our Lord, though, arrives on the scene and basically says, where you failed, I am going to take it forward. I'm going to fulfill the mission. And he says, you think that you're the true vine because of your heritage or your bloodline, but that's not the case. Those things won't save you any longer. I have come to open up the kingdom to all. And the only way that they would receive salvation is the only way anyone would, which is through him. Their only hope could be found in a relationship with God's true vine. And here's something else. By Jesus saying, I am the true vine, Jesus is not only identifying himself with the God of Israel, he is identifying himself with Israel. Jesus was a Jew and the perfect representation of what Israel was supposed to be. Not only that, Jesus was the fulfillment of what Israel was meant to accomplish. So where did Israel fail? Well, there's a lot of things we could point to. We could point to their injustices, their immorality, their idolatry, of course, taking advantage of the, the poor, their corrupt leadership. All those things are true, but, but what do all of those things point to? What is the root cause of their disobedience? And we could say rightly that it was their lack of relationship, their lack of connectivity. It all goes back to relationship. Israel had cut themselves off from the vine. If you look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 19, we get a better picture of this. Paul says, you will 
say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fail severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So God cuts off branches. Just being a Jew wasn't good enough any longer. It was about faithfulness. It was about fruit bearing because that's what vines and branches are all about. They're about producing fruit. Branches that are not bearing fruit are cut off because obviously they serve no purpose. The dead limbs are pruned to make way for the good limbs to produce more fruit and for them to grow and mature. Over and over again, God sent prophets with a message to God's chosen people that if they obey, if they if they disobey, I should say, if they choose idolatry, if they do not straighten up and fly right, they will be cut off and the Gentiles are going to take their place. A remnant of God's people would be saved, but a vast number of God's people were pruned. And you think about that. You think about what that says about God and that should arrest us. How could a people that was chosen by God be cut off by God? Actually, it It says a whole lot about his people. What causes this? If natural branches can be cut off, then certainly we can be as well. But here is a joyous truth or a scary truth, kind of depends on what side of the fence you're on. God is supremely concerned with the fruitfulness of the vine. The vine dresser will meet his goal. The vine dresser's goal is to see the vine to produce fruit, and it's going to produce fruit one way or the other. God is going to make sure that that happens. Whatever that means, if that means pruning or if it means cutting off and throwing away into the fire, he's, his main concern is the health of the vine, which means that our main concern should be to produce fruit and thus bring glory to the vine dresser. Now, like we talked about this morning, this is where this gets kind of tricky because our productivity only matters based on our connection to the vine. Some Christians believe that their, their productivity is earning them something or, or getting them somewhere, but they're missing the point. Everything that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15 is about abiding and about relationship. You don't produce fruit in order to earn something or in order to save yourself. Many either consciously or subconsciously think this way, but we mustn't confuse fruit bearing with salvation. You don't bear fruit so that you can merit heaven That's how we often think, if I can just do enough, if I can just be better, if I can just produce enough fruit so that I can go to heaven. But this is not about what you can do on your own in order to please God or earn his favor. Again, this is about connectivity. It always comes back to the relationship, and that's where our focus needs to be. I do because I belong. That's it. I don't just do so I can belong. No, I produce fruit because of the one I'm connected to. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we said this morning, productivity is not the goal. Abiding is. And abiding simply means stay, remain, put down roots. 
Your life only finds meaning in a relationship with the Lord. You can do a lot of good deeds, but if you're not connected to the source or to the power outlet, then what does it really matter? When we're closely connected to the vine, we will naturally bear fruit. You see, we have fooled ourselves into believing that what we do is really what counts. I come to church. I read my Bible. I roll up my sleeves and I, I dig in to help serve a meal or, or to help uh, clean off tables at a potluck or to help with VBS or preacher training camp. I keep all the plates spinning. I, I'm hanging the ornaments, so that must please God, right? But, but we've equated service with fruit bearing. We are, we are supposed to be about abiding first and foremost. Where's the relationship? That little word abide invites me to exchange my performance-oriented, knowledge-based, knowledge-obsessed Christianity for personal communion with the Lord. Remember what the word disciple means. It simply means Christ follower. We are followers of Jesus. We imitate his every move. We are seeking to become his clone. As Jesus' disciples, we are undergoing a transformation process. We are growing and maturing through pruning and cleansing. We are being made more like the one that we follow. And therefore, fruit bearing becomes a natural process. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. Because again, it's about our connectivity. You see the difference in all this? I'm not trying to play semantics here. I'm not trying to do some word gymnastics. Hopefully you understand, I'm not saying that good works are unimportant. I mean, the Bible, the New Testament speaks highly of works and how they tie to our salvation. But they also speak of how they are produced or the result of a relationship with the Lord. Jesus' whole point is that it's not just about what you do, it's why you do it. It's about who you do it for. Fruit production is not something that happens on our own accord because of our tireless efforts. Fruit production is a result, not a ritual, and it has everything to do with the relationship. And this really challenges, challenges all people, whatever side of the fence that you're on. It challenges the legalist because it tells us that Christianity is not about your performance. It's not about just what you know. It's about walking with Jesus. doesn't matter how much Bible that you can recite at the drop of a hat. Do you know Jesus? It's also a challenge to the more liberal among us who may think that all that matters is just loving Jesus. It's all about love. But this text shows us that life will naturally involve doing things when you're connected properly. And this passage also challenges the non-Christian because it's a warning about how the disconnect can lead to being cut off and thrown into the fire. But this is a passage that's also filled with hope. Jesus gives life to all those who connect with him. A crucial question that we need to ask of ourselves as we read John chapter 15 is this, am I busy or am I abiding? I can busy myself with the work of the church, with the goings on of the church, with being the church, but if I am not connected to the head of the church, then there's a problem. That's really the overarching question. Am I connected to the head? But here's something else that we can't afford to miss. I want you to look at this picture again. And as you look at this picture, what do you see? You see the big vine there in the middle surrounded by a fence. And you see the intricate network of branches, don't you? 
How many branches do you see there? Go ahead and get close up, you know, blow up your screen there and get close and, and count them. How many branches can you count? My guess is it's impossible for you. And it is. And the reason why is because the branches are all intricately woven together. You can't tell where one stops and the other one starts. It's kind of like those Christmas lights that you get out every year. Before you put them on the house or on the Christmas tree, you spend hours on end getting them untangled and getting them straightened out so that you can hang them. These vines, these branches, I should say, are so intricately woven together that you can't tell where one stops and the other one starts. And that's a good reference to the church. It's a good metaphor for us. We were never intended to be a solitary branch. You cannot exist as a branch without the other branches. You are not self-contained. You are not a self-contained fruit-bearing branch. You are one branch intricately woven among a series of branches. In other words, you find your identity in the vine and in the other branches. In essence, Jesus says, I am the epicenter and everything else is an outgrowth of that, which means that we are not the point of reference. And that can be hard for some of us because we are accustomed to seeing things primarily through our eyes. It's easy for us to become the center of our own universe. But a big part of being a branch is recognizing our proper place in connection with others. And through John 15, Jesus is showing us a different way of seeing. He's showing us what our true identity looks like. Ultimately, we are not individual parts, but parts of a greater whole, and our identity is incomplete apart from the whole. This is a huge gap in many Christians' thinking. More than a few tend to think that it's my relationship with God and Jesus that really matters, and the church is, is secondary if even necessary at all. As long as I'm connected to God, I'm good. I can worship Him in my own way. I don't need church. I don't have to be at church to worship God. And this is a growing sentiment. This is an idea that, that we see taking flight. I don't need the church. I love Jesus, but, but I don't love the church. But John 15 gives evidence to the fact that being connected to the vine naturally entails being connected to one another. Who is Jesus talking to in John chapter 15? The disciples, right? And how many disciples are there? Well, like we said this morning, at this point, there were 11. He's also speaking to us, us plural. Jesus would leave this conversation and he would head up Calvary where he would die for the sins of mankind and rise again three days later. He would then ascend into heaven and the church would begin on the day of Pentecost. The church, which is a system of branches all intricately woven together, connected to the power source, to the vine. So don't you think that it's important? Don't you think the church means something? I mean, if Jesus died for it, I would say that it does. Look, we could go through a, a sizable portion of scriptures this evening to talk about the importance of church, but suffice it to say, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us a whole lot. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is pointing the finger at his original audience, but I believe he's pointing that finger at us as well. You who are spiritual. That's us, right? 
That's all of us. The Christian, the branch, it's our job to reach out to one who is caught in sin and to restore them. But this isn't just the preacher's job. It isn't just the elder's job or the deacon's job. It's our job because we are a family and a family loves one another, even when it's messy, even when it calls us to sacrifice our own time and energy and maybe even our money. Church isn't just a formal gathering. Church is an investment. It's an investment in people. Christians are called to invest their lives in others, even in the messiness of sin. Fellowship can be messy. It can be dirty. How do I know this? How do I know that we are supposed to be invested in one another? Well, you can see on your screen there some of the one another passages that we find in Scripture. And it's probably hard for you to read. I had to make them small to get them all on the screen, but I did that on purpose because I wanted you to see them all up there together. Do you think there's something to this, this investment thing? When you look at all these one another passages, do you think God is trying to tell us something through his inspired word? The one another passages found throughout the New Testament serve to reinforce the fact that as branches, we are all in this together. We are investing in one another. We are investing in God's family. We are his family and we are connected to the Father. That's what makes us family. So we not only abide with the Lord, we abide in one another as well. You see, I think all too often we can lose sight of what's the main purpose here and the main goal. I think we can lose sight of, of what we're supposed to be about and our purpose. It's kind of like a a couple of years ago, IHOP changed their name for a little while to IHOB, International House of Burgers. And uh, many people raised an eyebrow over that. It didn't, it didn't seem right. It seemed like a travesty. You specialize in, in, in pancakes. Why are you now turning to burgers? Don't lose your focus, right? Stay on track here. Remember what you're supposed to be about. You're about pancakes, not burgers. Can you make a good burger? Probably but you're about pancakes. Remember your niche. And I think we as Christians can do the same thing. We can get off track, we can lose focus, and we can forget what we're supposed to be about and and forget our purpose. We have to understand that it's not just about, it's not about programming. It's not about hanging the ornaments or spinning the plates. It's not about just being busy. It's not about just productivity so that we can show our value, our worth to the church or anywhere else. It's about connectivity. It's about our connection to the vine. That's what gives us life, and that's what gives meaning to everything that we do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, and we pray that these days won't be much longer in that we won't have to worship virtually or online, but that we can be together soon under one roof. But whether we're together at the building we're scattered, we're still the church. And may we always remember that. And may we always remember that our connectivity is what matters. It's the relationship that gives life to everything else. What we do, who we are, all of it. May we always stay connected, Lord. May we stay plugged in, even in this time that we're apart. We love you, God. And we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.